0: This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. It's a butter egg made from plants. Bring more customers in your doors with Just Egg. Start with a free sample at ju.st hrn.
1: Hello and welcome to Why Food, a podcast about entrepreneurs, innovators, and career changers. I'm your solo co-host this week, Ethan Frisch, and my guest is Hetty McKinnon, food writer and author of the brand new cookbook, To Asia With Love. Hetty, thank you for joining me.
2: Oh, what a thrill to be here. Hi, Ethan.
1: Hi. Uh, so let's start with the, the cookbook, since I guess that was our <laughs> at least our nominal excuse for, for having this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tell, us, tell us a little bit about the book.
2: Yeah, so this book is called To Asia With Love. Um, it is... I really see this book as my homecoming. You know, I think, um, I mean, I guess we'll talk a little bit about my start in food, but um, I, I feel like it's taken me, this is my fourth cookbook, so it's taken me four cookbooks to really embrace those flavours that I grew up with in a really huge way. So it's, um, it, it's called To Asia With Love. It's my love letter to Asian flavours. Um, I'm Chinese. I grew up with um, a... a well, both both my parents are Chinese, but my mother was the cook of the family. So she is she just you know just cooked this amazing, you know, big flavored food all day long. You know, all big meals. We had a banquet for dinner every single night, and I'm not exaggerating. People always think I'm exaggerating when I say that, but I'm not.
1: It sounds pretty and amazing.
2: So- It really was. And I I really didn't understand it at the time. But, you know, having, you know, written three previous books, and I I was kind of dipping my toes in with Asian food and Asian flavors, um, and Asian ingredients. And really, after I finished my last book, Family, I just thought, I just want to write a book all about like, not only about being Chinese, but also growing up in like a third culture, um, growing up, being born in Australia to um, Chinese parents and having those influences of, you know, growing up in the West, but, you know, eating Asian food a lot and just kind of bringing all that together on a plate. So To Asia With Love is, is not traditional in, in that sense. In in it, it's not like traditional Cantonese food. Um, it's definitely takes its cues from the food that my mother cooked. But it has a lot of me in it too, you know, as a person that is has grown grown up in a Western world, that has travelled, that has lived in three different cities, um, and so I, I, br- I kind of bring all that together in, in the dishes. So it is kind of eats me East meets West, but in a really kind of personal way. I think the personal aspect is. The big the big part of to Asia with love so and it's yeah. all actually vegetarian too which is um, something that I probably don't talk about that often um, is I'm actually vegetarian a lot of people don't know that People just assume that I'm just making <laughs> vegetarian food because it's like people want that but actually um, it, yeah it's a vegetarian book so it that's the other kind of very unique aspect of it.
1: Was that a was that a difficult decision or a conversation with your publisher about making it all vegetarian, or or did you know you were going uh, to do that from the start?
2: No, I don't. I only write vegetarian recipes, so um, <laughs> I mean, I've been I don't cook meat at all, so I'm very strict about that. And you know, even though people have offered me jobs to, as a you know, come be a food stylist and cook chicken, it's like I won't do that. So um, I've been a vegetarian for a really long time, like twenty five years. And it was a decision I made when I was a late in my late teens, and before that, I ate probably every meat you know that was available. We, I, my mum cooked, you know, pig's intestine soup was a normal everyday food for me. Black bean sauce with tripe was a everyday food for me. So it's not that I was um, that I haven't tasted these foods, but for me, I, I'm vegetarian, and and I've spent a lot of my adult life, even before I was in food, a lot of my adult life kind of um, recreating all those dishes that I loved, but in a vegetarian way. So um, it, it feels like a very modern book, but is actually just the way I eat.
1: Yeah. If that makes yeah. Sense. I love it. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. Your your transition from your previous career into food and, and how you got started. Uh, why don't you, why don't you tell us that story?
2: Yeah. So I, um, I never really had a food dream, you know, like, you know, a lot of people like, you know, dream about working in food. And that was just not something that was um, in my life. Like I grew up in the suburbs of Sydney in, with immigrant parents and I just wanted to get out. You know, I was always looking forward and, and looking to the world. So um, I was like the first person that went to, to we, we call it university, but college um, in my family. And I studied communications and I worked in PR for many years in Sydney and then in London actually too and then I while I was in London I had my first child and it's kind of sparked something in me um I really wanted to back, basically I wanted to move home I wanted to be with my mum who, who, who's in Sydney so we packed up our things and, and went back to Sydney and while I was there, there was, um, I'd had like I th- had three children actually in, in very quick succession. So I had two more kids in Sydney. And then, so there was that turning point after I had my third child of what is the next step, you know, and I was getting offers to come back to work uh, to do work in PR. And I just realized I didn't want that. Like I just didn't want to go back to what I was doing. I wanted something. And to my surprise, I wanted to do something from home, which is if you'd asked me when I was a teenager, do you think you would have been doing a job that's kind of domestic? I would have said never in a million years, you know, because that was what my mum did. My mum was at home, she never had the opportunity to work um, in Australia. So she was, you know, threw herself into cooking and looking after her family with absolute fervour and and did it in a a wonderful way. Um, And I kind of found myself like wanting to do that, like not not to be a a stay-at-home mum, because I really don't like that term. Uh, (laughs) Being a mother is work. But I wanted to do something that was rooted at home and rooted in my community. And so with zero professional ex- cooking experience, I started um, making salads, vegetarian salads, and um, I put them in little boxes and biked them around my neighborhood and sold them to local people. Um, and that was really the start of my career in food. Like I didn't have any experience. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a business plan. It was just that I wanted to make food and feed people. Um, the kind of the way that my mother had fed us, so um that was right. the start and that was like only like really ten years ago, two thousand and eleven I started that um that journey and I was really learning to cook as I was in, in that business. The business was called Arthur Street Kitchen. So um, that, that's where that Arthur Street Kitchen thing comes from. Um, it was never, a, a lot of people think it was a blog, but it was never a blog, it was a business. And so I started doing a cooking and, and it was all very underground. I mean, I did it from home. Um, I was registered as a home kitchen because you can do that in Sydney. And um, I just started cooking and and it was in the process of delivering salads, like that exchange of the salad box, came to mean something else to me. You know, it wasn't actually just cooking and delivering it to somebody. It was, it became to mean um, connection and, you know, just seeing people in a different way, like and, and, empathising with other people, the exchange of the salad box, which was on doorsteps and on street corners um, and, you know, just very community-based. And I just, it was just in- intoxicating to experience the role that food could have, the way it can bring you together with complete strangers and and put you on equal ground. You know, it was our common language. And many of those people who I delivered salads to are very dear friends of mine now and still are, even though we don't live in the same city anymore and I can't feed them, you know, twice a week. Um, and it was just an incredible realization to me. And I, I I saw the, 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 the strength that food has to bring people together. And I think that, that, that is the foundation of all the work that I do now. Um, Whatever, whatever book I'm writing, whatever article I'm writing, whatever recipe I'm writing, you know that that need to connect with someone over um, a food like a recipe is really the foundations of everything I do. So that was my start in food, um, very unorthodox in many ways, but um, it led me to where I am now because you know two years into the the food delivery business, I was asked by my customers to write recipes down. And before this, I'd never written a recipe. You know, I'd never, this is just, you know, I was cooking these recipes. But then I was tasked with writing them down. So I wrote them down. I would email them to people who asked for them. And then um, my customers See, all oh, this has cu- came from my customers. My customers, there was one week when three different customers had said to me, I think you should write a cookbook. And that was the spark that I thought, oh, okay, that's a good idea. I kind of love, um, I loved writing, obviously, from my career in, in PR and, and marketing. And so I set out to write these recipes down and um, I that's what ended up being published as this book called Community that was um, a self-published book that I thought would only be for the people in my community. There was no, there was never an intention to publish it, you know, nationally in Australia. Um, it was just meant to be this little, you know, I call it a vanity project because you know it was really a vanity project. <laughs> Who was going to buy this book, right? It was for my customers in my local community, and um, very strangely, I printed a thousand copies because that was the, the minimum print run from the printer that I chose to work with. And I am actually, I would preface this by saying I'm actually a paper geek. I love stationery. I love books. I've always loved magazines. Like when I was a teenager, I spent all my pocket money on magazines. So this felt like a really fun project for me. Um, And so I printed a 1,000 copies and those 1,000 copies sold out in three weeks and I was mailing them all over Australia. And this is from... You know, I really, like, I was not well-known. I was not. There was no, like, PR, nobody. I mean, some people, some websites had written, like, little articles about me, and I think that's where people heard about it predominantly. But it was certainly um, not a big business, and I think that that's been a lot of the misconception about what Arthur Street Kitchen was, like people think it was a restaurant or it was a cafe, Um, but it was just a one-woman show running out of an inner-city terrace in Sydney, so... um, um, yeah, the rest is history, yeah. as they say.
1: So, so why why do you think uh, there is confusion about what Arthur Street was, or or what uh, maybe maybe you just did an amazing job of of making it look bigger than it than it actually was, and and people were uh, convinced or drew their own conclusions? Uh, where, yeah, where did that I've, come I've, from?
2: I mean, I think it was really unprecedented that a book that was written by kind of a a, a no name author. Um, not a celebrity, not a chef. Um, I think in Australia, and probably in the US too, it, it was really, and I had no blog, it was no, they had. I had really no presence. Um, this was pre-social media days, really. Um, I think it was really unprecedented that a book like that could just do what it did. Um, and so I think over the years people have, you know, it's become almost like folklore, like this, 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 this business. legendary, yeah. Uh- <laughs> yeah. And people contact me and go, Oh, I used to try and come to your cafe, but it was never open, and or some things like that. And I was like, Well, actually, there was no cafe, you know, like so there people have drawn um, you know, their own conclusions about what Arthur Street Kitchen was because of how big community came, became in Australia because it really did. I mean, it, it, I was approached on the day I had, so basically the 1,000 print run sold out very quickly, three weeks, and I had like 250 back orders um, and there were no books. So I actually thought, oh, God, now I have to do a second print run, which it really, I didn't really want to do because it's not that fun, you know, being the, the mail order person and shipping out books from your from your Sec- your spare bedroom. So, and that's what I was doing. So um, on the day, actually on the very day that I was about to do print, you know, pre- yes, on my second print run, I got this phone call out of the blue from um, a lady called Mary Small. She worked, she told me she worked at Plum Books, which was an imprint of Pam Macmillan Australia. And she had seen the book at her friend's house. The friend was um, a person that I didn't actually know very well. I did know of him because he shared an office with one of my customers and he had seen her copy of the book and taken it home. And this Mary Small happened to be at his house, saw the book, um, presented the book to her publishing department and said, and rang me and said, we want to publish the book. It's already been approved. Um, meet me for lunch. So that was really the start of my publishing career. Um, Pam McMillan Published the book nationally, like just a few months later, like in May of 2014, um, and the book just sold and sold and sold, like without much marketing, because you know I was a I I was a no name in in Australia at that stage, and um, this book just kind of sold itself. People, it became kind of I describe it like people took that book, um, in the spirit it, it was written. Like it became like this community, um, focused book. People bought it for themselves. They bought it for their friends. They bought it for their, their relatives. They would buy 10, 20 copies for Christmas gifts. It was one of those books. And, um, it really has been one of the best-selling books for the last 10 years in Australia. Um, it continues to sell really well. Um, in 2019, I actually released a second, like an anniversary, a, five, a fifth anniversary edition, which is um, was very special because I got to add a lot of stories into the book um, about people who had welcomed the recipes into their lives over the last five years. So it really has been... Um, an amazing journey, just for that book. I almost sometimes see myself as um, outside of of the community story. I feel like the book is the book and the community is is what makes that story rather than me. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting thing to be a part of. But yeah, very shortly after it was released, I actually left Australia. So in um, it was the same year actually that I moved to the US. Um, so about. October, we packed up. My husband had been given the opportunity to move to to New York for his work. So um, at that time, I was actually struggling with the business a little bit because after community came out, there was a lot of demand. People started kind of emailing and wanting me to deliver salads like all over Sydney. And there was this real pressure to grow the business. And I just didn't want that. I, I never wanted to have a big food business. I just wanted to keep feeding the people in my community. I wanted it to stay the same. And I I was realizing that with the national release of the book, it was going to become very hard to have the business stay the same. So I thought, wow, well, New York is beckoning. Why not? Let's do this. I can move over there. I can perhaps maybe try and start that same food business in Brooklyn. Um, and so I did it. And we, so we, we, I actually left Australia the same year community came out. And so I've written all the th- other books while I've been in New York. And that's also a thing that people don't realize. Like people often think that I was this really established name in Australia before I came to America. But actually, I've established my name there actually in absence. So it's also been a very, there's a lot, many parts of my career that are very unique and very, um, Strange, but I, I I put it all down to serendipity. To be honest,
1: yeah, I mean, and and beautiful recipes and amazing food and <laughs> and uh, and a cookbook that that clearly resonated with people and and continues to. I mean, it's it's amazing that that five years in it it has continued to do so well and and that, yeah, I mean, what do you, what do you think it was? What what is it about community that made it such a sensation?
2: I think it was real food. You know, I think that it was because I was not—I um, was not on TV. I was not like famous. It was just uh, there's a lot about that book that is so raw because I—I I was just a home cook. Like all the people who are loving this book, they're just like me, and they can see themselves in the food, in the way that the the food is cooked and just photographed. Um, there was no real styling involved. All the dishes are just my own dishes. Um, the story is, is a story that anybody could see themselves in because, you know, I'm just a normal person like them. And just that aspect of sharing food of, of big, um, vegetable based food, it was, and it's something that resonates quite, uh, in a big way in Australia too, because it's the way people really want to eat is this, you know, um, vegetable based cooking is, is a big thing there. But I uh, yeah I think I think it's been it's it's almost like this uh, X factor you know you don't really know what it was um, I think that a book like that almost couldn't happen or the six that success almost couldn't happen in the age of social media and I say this a lot and people say why do you say that and I say because things like that like cult books yes, things can go viral now, you know, in 2021, things things go viral, but without social media and without the hype, it has to, that success and that um, the catalyst for that success has to come from people buying the book, people cooking the recipes, people sharing those recipes with their friends in old-fashioned ways, like texting them photos or emailing each other photos. Um, And it's just a really different, approach. And it's so that's what I kind of almost see is like nowadays, books can be viral or recipes can be viral. But there was something with community that was so um, honest and raw, because it was just really driven by people who love to cook. Um, And that's really something I'm always striving for in all my my following work after that book is really just giving people recipes that they really want to cook. And yes, some of those recipes have gone viral on, on Instagram, but it's really never my intention. Like My intention is always to create recipes from the point of view of the home cook, is like what and and then and that home cook is me and it's every other, every other person that cooks my recipes. Um, it's like recipes that I want to cook, recipes that I want to eat, recipes that I want to share with my family. So yeah, I don't, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's a it's a lovely sentiment, and and uh, it's so nice to hear that it <laughs> that it actually works some of the time. You know, like so many <laughs> so many food businesses start out wanting to make that connection, wanting to. Uh, wanting people to engage with their work, whether it's whether it's prepared food or or a packaged food product or or food writing in in whatever form, uh, people want their audience to engage with them in that way. But yeah. it's, it's so much easier said than done.
2: It is, and like people over the years, I've had so many people ask me like, "How do you do this? Or what did you do?" And in the beginning, to get where you are, and. It's actually a really hard thing to answer because it wasn't one thing; um, it was all the things put together, and it could have been. It's unique to a time, I guess. It could be unique to a place, um, but also unique to a person. Like I think, in because I didn't come into the food industry with any preconceptions, with any desires to be anything in particular. To be, if I'm going to be really honest, um, I was just kind of going along with. Whatever the next passion for me was, um, I don't think about things very much. I just do. Like I'm a I'm a doing person rather than a thinking person. So, um, and I think the result of that is just work that is work that is really honest. Um, and I've never been afraid to put a lot of myself into my work, and even more so with to Asia with Love. You know, I I've always been. Um, I think over the years, I've become comfortable with sharing um, a lot of myself in not only my writing, but in my recipes, because that's the way I connect to people. And even though like, I don't, we we talk about connection, but you know, so much of this connection is, is, is third hand. It's not like they're my friends. And it's not like they're at my house eating around my table. But I want to create that feeling in the way I write and in in the recipes I produce, because that's what actually is most important to me is is you know giving people that sense that they're a part of my 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 orbit you know my world, um, and and I don't know if I'm actually describing that very much but you know the the personal people ask me about the personal narrative and it's like well. This, these are the stories that um, inspire me and that are a very big part of my life um, and I think, I think just be, allowing yourself to be a little bit vulnerable um, is, is what draws people to, to your writing and to your recipes. It's, it's like putting yourself in there in a, in a way that is, is not perfect Um, that is, you know, I don't think everything I've ever written is perfect. You know, I'm not, you know, (laughs) you know, there's, I certainly read things back and go, oh God, I can't believe I wrote that. But, you know, there is a, there's a real vulnerability, I think in, in the work that you do when you're not thinking too much about it, I guess. So, um, it's, yeah, I think every, every book, people also ask me, how do you come up with your next book? idea and it's like it's not even an idea it's they're they're just um they're just things that I have to do rather than I want to do if if you understand what kind of that that difference yeah. it's like there's no choice for me like that is the story that needs to be told you know like and every single book has been like that it's been like I have to tell this story because that is where that's the next story i want to tell but i need to tell it for myself so um yeah i always you know maybe i i maybe my writing and and my books so it's like a form of therapy for me
1: <laughs> yeah a way to channel some of that yeah. uh, some of those personal stories yeah definitely. I, i'd like to get into that we're going to take a quick break stay with us we'll be back in a minute
0: This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based customers into your doors with easy-to-use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier with no cholesterol, and less saturated fat. And it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble, great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also frozen pre-baked folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andres called Just Egg mind-blowing and Bon Appétit says, "So good, I feel guilty eating it." Put the fastest-growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st/hrn.
1: And we're back. You're listening to Why Food, and my guest this week is Hedy McKinnon, author of the beautiful new cookbook to Asia with Love. Um, hetty, let's let's talk more about that personal connection to the recipes, um, mm-hmm. and in particular in in the new book. how how did you how did you translate that personal experience of having made a recipe, probably dozens, if not hundreds of times? to then writing it down on a page to be presented to the general public coming in without a lot of context. They might not know the cuisine. They might not know your, your cooking style. How do you, how do you package so much of that sort of personal, uh, and I I hesitate to use this word, but I think it works in this context, that personal authenticity, Mm. um, onto a page or, or to somebody who, who you, you probably will never meet or will never speak to or, or spend time with personally.
2: Yeah, I mean it's not um that's an interest that's a really good question I mean it's a, it's a it, and there's not really one answer to that I mean I the recipes so when I started out writing to Asia with love when I first pitched it to um, my publisher in Australia, I had said, oh I want to write a Chinese cookbook right I want to write about the food that I grew up with and that was kind of the the basis of of to Asia with love but as I started writing it, I realized that um I'm not my mother you know like I didn't I didn't feel like I could just recreate the meals that she created for us growing up because they're her recipes and that they reflect her experience and so as I wrote the book it kind of morphed into this different book that was More about my experience and what was unique to me as a Chinese girl growing up in Australia, um, having been exposed to a lot of, you know, Western style food also, you know, I ate Western food outside of the house, but at home, we only ate ate Chinese food and how those two things could come together and meet somewhere in the middle. Um, I've also traveled a lot in my life. So also building that into, you know, some of the experiences, But, um, yeah, there were some recipes that I knew I really wanted to put in the book. And, you know, the book ranges from very traditional, what I say traditional, traditional to me, um, traditional to my family, to recipes that are completely not traditional and I've completely just, you know, blasted it out of the water and done something probably, you know, that my mum would see as. Crazy, but it, you know, it, and it has all of those things. But you know, there are dishes like, for example, the steamed water egg custards. It's um, it's in Chinese. It's called sui dan, which is um, translates to water egg. That's a dish that I grew up with. I probably ate it every week. Um, it's basically a three ingredient dish, eggs, water, and salt. And I thought it was like, it was something that my mum made for me if if she was like in a rush or, you know, if I was not feeling great, you know, she would just make it and basically put it down next to me with a bowl of rice. But this recipe itself just, it was the hardest recipe for me because I'd made it many times and it never felt right. Um, And I rang my mum like an you know, in a panic, like how, why isn't mine turning out the way yours did? Why doesn't it taste right? Um, and yeah, it really is probably the hardest recipe I've had to develop. And it's probably the simplest too. Um, eventually, and into Asia with four to Asia with love, I finally got it right, because I had tested it so many times. And, and it's all about the texture with this dish. It's all about having this very jiggly. My mum's one was very jiggly, very velvety. Um, it's it's a savoury custard, and there was a piece of advice that she was giving me the whole time, which I just wasn't listening to, um, and it was just like you got to cook it really on really low heat and really slow, and. And it sounds like something that, you know, you probably should listen to, but I just didn't. I don't I don't know why. Maybe it's because I like to not listen to things that my mom tells me. Um, but I just didn't take that piece of advice. And eventually, I it kind of happened by accident one day when I was, I made it and I I think I actually put it on the wrong temperature, which was a really low temperature. And it just, um, it wasn't cooking and it took a long time. And eventually, like after about 10 minutes, I lifted the lid and it was set and it was perfect. And I was like, ah, this is, I finally cracked the recipe. And it was because it was like by accident, low and slow, but Hey, my mum has been telling me this for years on low and slow. So, you know, that's the long story to say that it meant a lot for me to finally be able to write that recipe down and make it so that I can now make it like, my mum used to make it but interestingly that recipe I I don't we don't really think a lot about you know where recipes come from when you're like young and you're growing up and your mum's making you recipes you're just eating it and you're not really thinking about I wonder who else is eating this recipe you know wonder who else is eating so out in the world but anyway since that book was included in To Age With Love I have had this outpouring of messages from other you know Cantonese kids who ate this dish well, not only Cantonese but it is eaten all over China but in, in different ways and different toppings there's also a Japanese dish that's very similar um, so I've just had so many people reach out to me about this really what seemingly kind of you know very basic recipe in in the book but just people saying I cannot believe that this is in a book I cannot believe that I can now make this dish someone actually said to me my grandmother used to make this for me after school and she died and I thought I would never eat this dish again. So to get these messages from people um, about what this, these recipes mean to them is so overwhelming actually. It's not something that I even thought that hard about. Um, but, yeah, like being able to write down some of these, these recipes and from um, an completely kind of oral tradition too it's like turning these um heirloom recipes that were passed on orally from one generation to another and to be able to write those down and share it with you know I guess it's kind of like my legacy to not only my family but to a lot of people um that was really great and you know I kind of think sometimes oh I so many of the recipes in Two With Love are kind of a little bit crazy. Um, you know, just like not not traditional at all. Like um, I'm, there's a chow mein recipe in there. And I...
1: I, I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we got there. Yeah, go yeah, ahead.
2: Like the chow mein recipe is... I love chow mein. Um, you know, Cantonese chow mein is very um, it's very unique in that it's, um, it's, it's many textures. You know, there's a... My mum makes an amazing chow mein but it's basically very crispy on the bottom and then the top there's like a gravy um, vegetables and hers would have like meat in it but that goes over the top and then it makes the the noodles at the top soft so there's all these different textures going on with that dish um and then I made it in a sheet, on a sheet pan for To Asia With Love. Um, I did it. I, I think I experimented with it one day. I don't even know why I do these things sometimes. But, you know, you're in the kitchen. You're cooking for your family. You're kind of lazy sometimes. I'm a fairly lazy everyday cook, if I'm being honest. So I put all these noodles on a tray and I just thought, I just want to see what happens if I put it in there. Um, and I put it in and then I kind of, you know, did the vegetables and the sauce over the top. And lo and behold, it kind of tasted very similar to um, the textures of my mum's chow mein. So, you know, it's not traditional at all. It's uh, some people could say it's sacrilegious, maybe. Um, and it's probably not something my mum would even approve of. But, you know, it's that recipe to me just feels really authentic to me because it's kind of like it's. It's a really traditional dish, which I've made um, in a way that feels authentic to me and the way I cook um, and my life, which is, you know, very short on time all the time. So, um, yeah, there's there's dishes like that which are, you know, a little bit left of centre but are always rooted in the foundations of um, not only the flavours of my childhood but the generosity in in the way my mum cooked, um, and the passion in which she cooked, so I kind of take those as what roots all the recipes, as as the the, the common thread that goes through all the recipes in the book. Um, but you know, some, sometimes they're not what people would expect. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think it's the there. i mean the sheep pancamian has been very very popular as a recipe and people have loved cooking it that way um and it's it's nice to be able to present a, a recipe that people really want to cook um and that's always like a really thrilling thing for me is actually you know to give people their time back to give people um great food at you know very minimum effort um that's a really – that's I, lo- I love being able to do that and, and really kind of um, – I guess the other aspect I really wanted to do with Into Asia With Love was to really democratise Asian food because over the years I have had so many people say to me, I love Asian food, I love Asian flavours, I don't know how to cook it, or I would eat Asian food every day if I just knew how to cook it. So those comments that I was getting from readers actually – was some was a really drive was a real driving force behind um, not only the cons not only the the the, the recipes that are in there but um, in the re- the ingredients that I've used. You know, I really tried to make the ingredients um, available from most supermarkets. Um, there's only like a couple of ingredients in there that you might have to either order online or go to a, a you know and Chinese grocery store. But most of the things are available from your, your local supermarket because for me, I really wanted to create that Asian book that people cooked from. You know, I don't I didn't want it to be another Asian book that people bought because they want to dream about one day going to buy that food <laughs> from their local takeaway. I wanted people to actually cook that food. so and I and I realized like over the years that ingredients makes a huge difference to um, how much a person wants to cook a recipe you know like seeing ingredients that are familiar to them or that they understand or that they probably likely already have in their pantry. That is a huge. Um, that makes a huge difference in in what gets cooked. So I really wanted to really democratize Asian food, make it available to everyone. Um, and my reason for that is not only to give people good food, but to bring people to into my story. You know, to bring people into my world, um, to close the gap between people um, from different cultures, from different walks of life, from different experiences, from different countries, from different, you know, i all, in all my food, I'm trying to bring people closer together. So, you know, there's the practical point of view in having ingredients that you have and that will encourage people to cook. But there's also, I hope, an understanding that I'm creating um, by giving people, you know, these little insights into my world um, which was possibly very different to theirs
1: yeah yeah absolutely i mean it's such getting people over that hump of cooking a new cuisine or a new dish or or using a new technique or style is so difficult yeah. so if, if you can uh, kind of draw people in uh, maybe a little bit sneakily by using <laughs> ingredients that they already have and techniques that they're already familiar with and then it turns out that they that they that they have introduced themselves to to a cuisine and a style of eating that they may not have have tried before is pretty special.
0: Yeah,
2: absolutely. And people are so excited about it. You know, people have just I just get messages almost every day from people who are thanking me for opening their world to these flavors um and that that just that just really means a lot to be able to do that. So, it's been that's really been the the most common reaction is like, "Oh my god, I just can't believe that" I'm now making, you know, chow mein for dinner, you know, twice a week, or I can now make noodles confidently um, for my family, and I can do this without any fuss. And I guess that's, yeah, that's that's a really amazing thing.
1: Yeah, um, let's do some fun questions before we wrap up the interview. We're coming up on our time. Um let's why don't we start with uh if you were a vegetable, what vegetable would you be?
2: Oh <laughs> that's so fun. um I don't know I mean I, I feel like maybe a potato <laughs> and that's probably gonna surprise a lot of people <laughs> because I have a I'm very I' have a really have a very strong bias towards cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, you know, kale, all those. But I feel like a potato is very dependable. Um, it, and it's, for me, a real savior in my house, because my kids have reached that age, they only want to eat like potatoes. Um, so yeah, I think maybe a potato. <laughs> and you can do lots of things with it. It's very versatile. Yeah.
1: It, it has also had, I mean, not to editorialize too much, but it has also had a a, a great journey from its its origin in the new world into many other cuisines and cultures and and has become obviously a, a huge and valuable part of uh, cooking all around the world. So absolutely. maybe there's like a, a global nature that that appeals.
2: Yes, well. absolutely. I love that.
1: Yeah. Um, how about uh, we usually ask us as a, for a single answer, but I think we should broaden it. How about your desert island kitchen tools? What do you bring with you uh, if you're going to be stranded on a desert island, oh. which with, with every ingredient you could possibly, I mean, it's a, you know, no, no limitations in terms of ingredients. You can cook anything you want, but what tools do you bring with you to cook that?
2: Oh, okay. I would say, how many can I have? Can I have several?
1: Uh, sure. I, I'm, <laughs> I don't know. As many, as many as you can, as you can carry on your back as you swim.
2: Okay. From your shipwreck, <laughs> uh, I,
0: don't
2: know. okay. I think you would need a knife. Um, you would need a knife, a chopping board, and a mortar and pestle and some sort of – and a wok. You'd need those things. Like I think mm, with yeah, those things you can do anything. But a mortar and pestle because I kind of feel like you need to be able to break things down and mm-hmm. uh, and in a in a different way. You can make sauces. Look, I'm already thinking of like desert island recipes, but you could make sauces with that. Um, and, yeah, that that's what I would do.
1: I read online somewhere that you are a big fan of your kitchen scale.
2: I am, actually. That, uh,
1: <laughs> what's, what's the the craziest uh, use you've ever found for your
2: kitchen scale? I use it almost all day, every day. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess that it could be because I'm testing recipes a lot, but um, I think a kitchen scale is just going to give you, you know, that, that exactness that you don't get from just cups and it could be an Australian thing too like we we love our kitchen scales in Australia because we use grams for everything um and cups is not really it's not really a thing it well it's becoming more of a thing actually that's the influence of America um yeah unfortunately but I think that you know in certain things like when you're making um I was very insistent when people making the 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 knife cut noodles in To Age With Love I was like, oh, please use a scale because it's just going to give you the ratio of water to um, flour is kind of important in a lot of these recipes. So anyway, I do really do like a scale and it's really so cheap, you know, like you can just, you get one for 10 bucks. It lasts forever. Um, just change the battery every now and then. So it probably wouldn't be great for a desert island, but um, it's in in a normal kitchen. It's It's great.
1: I, you know, I, I'm, I'm always on the fence about cooking with a scale or, or even cooking with that, uh, sense of precision mm-hmm. because to me, I, I, you know, obviously I cook a lot and I, I cook pretty sort of off the top of my head. Um, but, but I worry that the precision becomes constraining or that. Uh, prevents people from being creative. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you worry about that also? Or, or am I overthinking?
2: Um, no, I think so. I don't really use them for savory things that often, but mainly for anything to do with anything like flower related is, um,
1: oh, yeah. is a
2: huge thing for me, but perhaps I could be swayed in using the scale because I'm always thinking about recipes a lot when I'm, when I'm even just when I'm cooking, um, I'm always like thinking, Oh, is there a possibility? This could be a recipe, like a recipe rather than just a recipe I'm cooking for dinner. So it's probably like a, uh, a, a, you know, professional hazard of <laughs> the yeah,
1: scales. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. Um, all right. My, my last question, and it, it's in two parts, okay. uh, from To Asia With Love, uh, which recipe is your, do your kids particularly love and which recipe does your mother particularly love?
2: <laughs> um, okay, my kids is easy. It's the stir-fried, uh, the salt and vinegar potatoes. Um, they actually love a lot of the recipes in this book. Mapo tofu too. That I made that for them last night. But the stir, the salt and vinegar potatoes is probably the one I get asked for the most. Um, it's a kind of an odd recipe too. It's kind of a, a mashup of several different types of stir fried potatoes. But like, who knew you could cut up a potato into little strips and fry it? And the key thing about this dish is not not overcooking them. So the, the potato stays a little bit crisp, which is, I think, counterintuitive to a, to a lot of people who have been used to, like, cooking potatoes until they're very, very soft. But the crispness is what gives this dish, like, that kind of textural element. And then I've added, like, salt and vinegar to it as a little um, homage to my favourite chips. <laughs> so um, it's – but the kids absolutely love it. So that's a dish I make a lot. Yeah, and, uh, For my mum, uh, I don't know if my mom's going to be eating or, you know, being enthusiastic about much of my cooking because in her mind, she's a very Chinese mother, so everything she cooks is better, which is true. Um, <laughs> but I think the dish that she would go for is the salt and pepper eggplant. My mum is a massive eggplant fan. She talks about it always. Whenever I say eggplant, she's like, I really love eggplant. Like I've never heard it before, but she always says that. So um, I, there's a, I've, I salt and pepper everything, but the salt and pepper eggplant, I think she would like the most.
1: Sounds pretty great. Um, Hetty. where can our listeners find your book and follow you on social media?
2: So my book should be available at all your regular bookstores, um, support indie bookstores wherever you can. I always say that. And um, they can follow me at, at Hedy McKinnon on Instagram.
1: Perfect. Um, as always, you can reach us by email yfood@heritageradionetwork.org. at heritageradionetwork.org. You can reach me via my spice company, Burlap and Barrel, at Burlap and Barrel on Instagram. And you can reach Valerie via Instagram at Foodie in New York. Thanks to the Red Crickets for our theme song and to our amazing sound engineer, Armin Spengen, as always. And most of all, Hedy McKinnon, thank you so much for joining me and for such a, a wonderful conversation.
2: Thank you, Ethan. I really enjoyed that. Thanks for having me.
1: Talk to you all next week.
0: Why Food is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For
2: our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter